Hey guys, welcome back. Jared Moore, Jeff Wright. Check it, you wreck it. Let's begin. We're back, Jared, the podcast tag team. It's been a minute since we talked, but we're back here today bringing you the latest from Pop Culture Quorum Deo. And uh, this week, we're wrapping up the year. So we are going to talk to you about the worst and best of 2018. Uh, before we get started on that, though, Jared, how's it going, man? Going well, buddy. Going well. I've been under the weather a little bit, but other than that, everything's going well. Yeah, man. We've had like three months in a row of our family being sick. We're on this stuff called Elderberry now. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. You have to take out a second mortgage to pay for it. I don't know where the stuff came from. It's in a mason jar. I don't ask questions. <laughs> my, my wife's eating it, feeding it to my kids. I don't know if that's going to undo their vaccinations or what's going on, but she's she's gotten to the point of desperation. She's willing to try alternative medicine, all kinds of stuff. Dude, let me know where you're getting that stuff for real because I have priced it up here and like I went to the Mennonite store and uh, it was like $25 for for like a uh, cough. Like it, it might have been 10 ounces. It's like good grief. Dude, we, I, I ain't paid for that. I can't pay for that. We're in the wrong business. You need to get one of your father-in-law's cows and be like, can we trade you a cow for some seeds? Yeah, for real. We'll start our own elderberry farm. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. Well, we'll table that brilliant idea to dive into the podcast podcast here because it's been forever since we talked to y'all um jared y'all talked about upgrade without me that was cool appreciate that i didn't feel left out at all yeah yeah we did man and uh terry felton's like a pop culture whisperer (laughs) (laughs) hey let me ask you now you've seen the movie i I don't remember y'all talking about this uh is it better at the same thing than venom or is venom better at the same thing um i think venom is better i I did like i did think hardy was over the top though yeah like like he acted like he was was I don't know so I just like Venom better I like Venom better like a as a uh, just a pop culture icon nostalgia and so it would be hard for me to I think the other dude did a better acting job though like just the like the robot moves and stuff mm-hmm. I mean how in the world could you can you imagine trying to act that out and all of a sudden you're a robot and then you're like acting like you're not controlling your body like the only other movie I can think of like that and you're gonna laugh is Ace Ventura when he's r- running through and he his arms are asleep. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, <laughs> he's a very gifted physical comedian. But yeah, dude, you're is. acting like I didn't see you at middle school dances doing the robot. I, I know I know what's up with people being able to, to persuasively play robotic instruments or creatures or whatever you would call them. Hey, buddy, I, I brought the robot out again about, uh, it's been 12 years ago, VBS, the Lifeway VBS, man. The, one of the songs was a robot, uh, robot dance. You danced at a Southern Baptist vacation Bible school? Oh, yeah. yeah. Huh. Jared, you're like Highlander, man. You, you're, I, you're I the try to do it all the time, man. I try to. But thankfully, the older I get, the less dancing I do. Yeah, amen. So. Amen. The less dancing you do, I think we're all in favor of that declining a bit. Did I say yeah. that out loud? I think that, that was supposed to be on internal monologue. Well, you ready to get into... What you watching? What you watching? What you watching? Yes, sir. The final What You Watching of 2018. And Jared, I have seen everything since I talked to you last. Um, let me just run through these real quick. I've got several things I want to throw at you, quick hitter, and then maybe we'll figure out if we want to review any of them longer. Okay. Did you see the Natalie Portman movie Annihilation? I did not. Okay. You've seen Into the Spider-Verse, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you told me off air you had not seen Aquaman yet? Not yet. Uh, Christine and I started watching this show. I think we were the last people in the world to start. Uh, it's called The Good Place. Are you watching that? 
No, I'm not. I, I saw the first season and um, kind of lost interest after that. Well, so pro tip on that one, much like uh, other series, we basically, at the end of the first season, we're like, I'm not sure we want to press on, but we went ahead and watched this, the first episode of the second season. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it got much better. Um, did you ever see the Fred Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I did not, man, but I've got, I mean, I've got that to where I can watch it, but I just haven't done it. Yeah. Uh, did you see Bumblebee? No. Did you see Bumblebee? I saw Bumblebee. My youngest son has been begging since he first saw the first trailer, so we went and saw it. Uh, and I know you watched Bird Box. Oh, yeah, I did. Okay. So, I don't know if you want to follow this proposal, but would you be interested in doing Into the Spider-Verse, Aquaman, and Bumblebee as like a mega review? Sure. All right. So, if you had to rank those movies, of course, you didn't see Bumblebee. So, oh, you didn't see Aquaman either. Never mind. Let me give you my ranking. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I think Aquaman was the best. Oh, wow. Okay. I've seen lots of people say Into the Spider-Verse is like a perfect movie and the best superhero movie years and so much and so forth. I thought it was really good too, but I thought Aquaman was better. Wow. Okay. Uh, And Bumblebee was a very pleasant surprise. I don't want to give anything away, but I think, you know, Michael Bay is not, is not, um, you know, directing this. So that's a plus already, but it's set in the late eighties, which is when the G1 Transformers cartoon came out. Oh yeah. And I I feel like it just really serves that franchise to have it in that era. Uh Uh, Haley Stenfield is really good in it. And it's just a super charming movie. I went in kind of, you know, just dreading it, like feeling like I was just doing this to serve my son. And uh, I came out really excited that I watched that movie. That's good, man. That's great. That's encouraging. Yeah. So get your button gear, go see Aquaman, and go see Bumblebee, and then we can do a review. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good, man. Um. So won't you be my neighbor? We watched that this afternoon after church, and uh, man, that thing is so good. I can't really stand the thought that I waited till this late in the year to watch it. You, you got to check that one out soon. And so do you, do you have a new appreciation for Mr. Rogers now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in, in some ways, I've got more questions about him because they mentioned at one point that his theology was pretty inclusive, which is great if it means that he sees the image of God and, you know, people all around him. It's bad if he thinks there's multiple routes to God, right? Right. And at one point, this guy says, Fred's theology was love your neighbor and love yourself. <laughs> My wife and I just kind of locked eyes and said, is that how that's supposed to go? And uh, that's that's troublesome. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah. But, I mean, dude, when you're, you know, when you're in an era that's desperate for good role models and people who, even if they had quirks and eccentricities, if I can say that, um, nonetheless lived with integrity and upright towards their fellow man. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, it looks like he's the guy. That's good. It's interesting. I can't remember who it was. Maybe this is you that said that, that people are looking for positive male role models. Yeah, I definitely think that's a lot of what's going on with this resurgent interest in Fred Rogers. Hmm. I didn't uh, even know his first name was Fred. Yeah, yeah. So you need to see an Annihilation 2, uh, the Natalie Portman one. It's like a sci-fi horror movie. Just to whet your appetite, and for any of our listeners here who haven't seen it yet, there is a scene in that movie that is probably the scariest thing I've seen this year. And if it's not the scariest, it's definitely top three. Wow. Yeah. Had no idea. Didn't read any reviews about the movie. That happened. Dude, I, I may sneak that in on my watch. Yeah. It would be uh, it'd be a good watch, I think. So, so press on. I'm, I'm almost positive you'll know exactly what I'm talking about as soon as you see it. Uh, and then lastly, Bird Box. Did you think Bird Box was scary? Ah, <clears throat> it was almost the the enemy was too hidden. They should have shown the monster at one point, right? Well, I think they were dealing with a limited budget. I thought it was a pretty good move, uh, and, and this is slightly spoilerific, but the guy who had some drawings, yes, I thought that was a pretty good low budget way to say, hey, this is what these things might look like. But having said that, I never felt scared in the movie. Right, I felt weirded out, you know, and I felt anxious. 
this, but I never really felt scared. Yeah, it's definitely weird, and it, it's terrifying to think. I don't know when your when your ability to control your actions is taken away from you, and crazy. Yeah, you say low low budget, but do that. What they spend all the monies on the actors and actresses? I, I, I legit think that's the case. I think they thought let's get Sandra Bullock and Malkovich, Lil Rail, and then you know we'll get a we'll get a leaf blower to be our bad guy. Yeah, Malkovich is incredible, man. He is. That that's absolutely true. He's also one of these guys who's an incredible actor, but the same guy in every part he plays. Yeah. Um, so do you think the comparisons to A Quiet Place are justified? Not so much in one sense is taken off the table, but uh, that they're they're comparative, they're comparable in quality. No, they're not comparable in quality. Not at all. Yeah, I think one is uh, one of the best movies of the year, spoiler alert. And then I think Bird Box is mm-hmm. like a really good imitation. And yeah, I, I know the, the novel the movie was based on came first. I just think A Quiet Place did the movie version of that better. Yeah, and the, I mean the there were holes in the logic. Mm. Like, I mean big holes like this. Don't don't spoil anything for people who hadn't seen it. Just <laughs> one little reminder. Um, I don't know if this will spoil it, but just the reality that the the monsters can't get inside. Mm. Yeah, unless you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, no, they're vampires. You got to invite them in. I guess they should have tried to do something like super powerful demons who will corrupt your brain, but can't use a doorknob. Can't get in your vehicle. Can't. I mean, it was. I thought that was that was a giant hole. But. Well, all right, man. I needed to get a bunch of that off my chest. Rapid fire. Anything you've been watching? You want to highlight? Um, I saw. We saw the Grinch. Yeah, we did see the Grinch. Um, I saw Instant Family. Instant Family. Oh, that's the adoption movie, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I think y'all mentioned that on the upgrade episode. You, you liked. It, right? I liked it, but well, I mean, with some caveats. I mean, it's not a, it's pro adoption, but it is a, it presents selfish reasons and pragmatic reasons for adoption, hmm. which is not the Christian view of adoption. Right. Um, I mean, we, you know, our, the basis of adoption is loving another human being as your family. I mean, laying down your life for, um, you know, a a child. And um, it's just, it's not this, well, everything's going to be better. Your life is going to be better if you adopt type mentality, which is kind of what this movie argued. Okay. Um, Yeah. Hmm. It's kind of a American dream version of adoption. Oh, really? Yeah. In my, in my opinion, I don't want to be too hard on it, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, I saw Wreck-It Ralph 2. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And um, congratulations. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, um, the argument in that movie is um, the little girl basically leaves her Ralph behind to pursue a possible career. And um, I, I, it was a very strange thing for, I thought, for a kid's movie to be arguing that, to be arguing that. And, and Ralph, the way he breaks the Internet is by um, he doesn't want her to leave him. And so he's this insecure man that messes up everything. <laughs> and, cool. Yeah, it's uh, never saw that coming from Sarah Silverman. How in the world did that ever happen? Yeah, yeah. It. Uh, I was trying to tell my kids that you know, I, I mean, if you've seen the first record, Ralph, like she has no friends, and Ralph and her become best friends, and they're they're basically family. And then she just drops him high and dry because she's you know she might want to be part of this other game that's got you know that's really dangerous and fun. Like it's this career thing, and I'm just it blows my mind that this is a this is viewed as a positive thing like can you can you imagine just dropping your family high and dry jeff and and going and pursuing a career like you mean like
like to find my most authentic self, I have to enter the workforce and, and become as successful as possible. Yeah. I mean, everybody would celebrate that, right? They would. Nah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. As you die alone. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have money. Hey, so I heard the strangest thing of the day. You know who Chuck Klosterman is? I do not. So Chuck Klosterman is a pop culture writer, and he's really thoughtful. I mean... <laughs> He's not he's not looking at things from a Christian worldview, but he, he just thinks very deeply about pop culture. And he's really interesting to read. And mm-hmm. he was being interviewed on a sports podcast I listened to, and they were talking about Philip Rivers. And, you know, Philip Rivers has like 17 kids or something. Mm-hmm. And he's so, a Mormon, right? Yeah, something like that. So he had a big family, and they were basically saying he's really intelligent, and they hope that he chooses to go into commenting, um, commentating rather than just going home and enjoying his family. So mm-hmm. that's fine. These are secular here talking though and, and again Klosterman's like living in the Pacific Northwest he's kind of the you know you look at him he's like the picture of hipster culture you know mm-hmm. just not a guy I would expect to have similar values to me even though I appreciate his work and at one point just offhandedly he said can you imagine being Philip Rivers with all those children he said in, in just a couple years he's going to be at home and he's going to have all these kids and they're going to be bringing grandkids home you know and I was waiting for like the, the criticism to land and he said it is so hard not to be just deeply envious of him and I thought Whoa, what are you doing, Chuck Klosterman? But uh, my wife was like, man, you just can't tamp down some of the things that God has built into human beings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, amen. And dude, I was thinking just the other day, like the blessing of babies, like how little and precious and sweet and how almost everyone, when they see a baby, they're like, there's this instinctive um, wanting to hug it, squeeze it. I mean, this how cute they are. And I don't know. I mean, God could have designed it, designed it to where it's, I don't know, the egg, an egg growing. I mean, could have done all some kinds kind of, of larva. <laughs> yeah, some kind of, you know, I mean, Adam and Eve were adults. Um, yeah. You know, he could have somehow, I mean, he could do whatever he wants. And so it's just a, a real blessing to be involved in the growth maturity of these precious little beautiful babies. I mean, what we've got a, in our Sunday school class, there's a new baby, like, I don't know, six weeks old. And man, I just want to squeeze him to death every time I see him. <laughs> he's, just, he's awesome. But, I've for the record, you said you wanted to squeeze him to death, but do not want to kill this child. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's figure of speech, folks. <laughs> so when are you going to move out of the nursery class, man? I figured you would have to get into an adult class at some time. Well, he's not in the nursery. I would love to go to just be in the nursery every during Sunday school, every, yeah. like, all every Sunday. But, uh, yeah, I've thought about that too. We have, like, every church does. Sometimes we have to, like, recruit people to work, um, with the children. And I always am like, dads, it's awesome, really, to go hang out with a bunch of babies. You're not in there by yourself. And, you know, you can just cuddle a baby or, you know, play with a, a toddler. Like, that's some of the funnest stuff you can do outside of, uh, you know, having your own children. So, I'm oh, do, yeah. I'll pull that sidebar back in. So, okay. So, Ralph breaks the internet. Um, she she leaves him to pursue a career, and, and Ralph's insecure. Anything anything else wonderful about that movie? Um, they make it intentional to poke fun at all the Disney princesses who were saved by big, strong men. And, and Ralph is actually saved by all those princesses. Like, they intentionally turn on his head. Um, I was telling I was telling my wife the other day that I'm growing weary of uh, the uh, the f- female heroes, and not because of 
not because there are ladies that are saving the day, but because there are ladies who are saving the day, often in very masculine ways. There, there's no nothing distinctly feminine about how they're saving the day. Yeah. And um, that, I just get tired. I get weary of it. Like, wh- why not celebrate femininity instead of trying to present this uh, this tired trope of uh, anything a man can do, I can do better type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting idea to say, oh, let's have these princesses r- rescue this big, strong guy, I guess. But like when you know it's being weaponized and, you know, ideologically aimed at, at certain good things that are that are holdovers from better cultures, then uh, it is hard to swallow. Mm-hmm. What else you been watching? Give me something positive to end on. Positive. Um, what else I've been watching? Mm, the I guess the Grinch. The Grinch was positive. Um, but there's one issue with the or one odd thing. Like the uh, spoiler alert. The uh, oh Cindy Lou, her mama was a single mother. There was no husband in the picture whatsoever, and there's no mention of him. I thought that was an odd choice. Um, like why do that? So there's two twin kids, her little brothers that look like maybe a year old. Oh yeah, that's true. And then there's just no reference to who the father is, right? Not at all. And like in, um, I believe in both of the other movies, the Ron Howard version and the, uh, the original cartoon that the father is in both of them. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know how to, you know, I've watched both of those movies, but not often. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to account for that. That is kind of inexplicable. Not just, you know, not in the way that we're talking about Wreck-It Ralph. I mean, sorry, Ralph breaks the internet, but in like, well, it takes two to tango. Where did where did dad go? You would think if the kids are that young, there would still be some reference to who the father was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can, I, can, can I ask why why Cumberbatch? Like why, what makes them look at him and think, oh, he'd be a good voice for the Grinch. Like a good, I just thought that was an odd choice too. And I thought the narrator was very odd choice. Well, there was one other odd choice in that movie, but one that I thought was positive. It was just, it was just strange. They sang like explicitly Christian hymns when you heard people caroling. It mm-hmm. was, yeah, it was explicitly Christian hymns, which I, I can't remember the last time I saw a movie coming out of Hollywood that did that. Oh yeah, they, yeah. I, you could argue that the gospel is present in the hymns in that movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What was it? God rest you, weary gentlemen. Yeah, but it was only like ten or fifteen seconds of it, but it was like blatant um, to rescue us, like or something about destroying Satan and. Um, you know, redeeming us from our sins or, and it was uh, pretty, pretty blatant. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Just a, a strange movie all around. So how does it relate to the other, uh, excuse me, Aquaman? I don't know why that's what came off my lips there, but how does it relate to the other Grinch movies for you? I think it's third. I think it's the worst one, but you know, again, I'm nostalgic for the Grinch. I love the original. I think it's the best. I love Jim Carrey, Ron Howard version. And, uh, the third one, um, I thought it was good, but there were a few odd choices that I don't understand. My favorite character in that one was the um, the big guy who loved Christmas um, SNL character. Uh, yeah, uh, Keenan. Yes, yes. I thought he was, I really liked him. Yeah, he did a great job as a voice actor. I'm, I'm with you. I'm also with you in that the original Grinch cartoon is the best, and I'm probably just going to like the Carey version better because I like Jim Carrey. Um, anyway, it was a fine movie, and I'm so thankful you had, you had persuaded me to watch Christmas movies for December, and health and schedules just wouldn't allow that. And I, I just feel like that was such a gift to me. And so I'm, I'm going into the new year here just deeply thankful. I, I really didn't watch hardly any Christmas movies this year. My kids love to watch Home Alone, so I saw that a couple times. But other than that, nah, missed them all. So another successful Christmas for me in that regard. We'll have to do two months of Christmas next year. Will we? Will we really have to? We'll have to because we missed this year. So Missed is got- not the word I would use. <laughs> 
All right, man. Uh, anything else you want to cover under what you're watching? I think that's it, buddy. All right. Well, let's get into. So sorry to interrupt. And just two things I'm excited about, Jared. Uh, are you paying attention to this thing Netflix is doing with Black Mirror, where they've released a movie that is Choose Your Own Adventure? No, I did not see that. I saw the, the, the movie come out, but I haven't paid attention to that, no. Yeah, so this is interactive TV. I've not played with it yet. I'm trying to figure out a time I can do that. Um, as of this recording, we're recording New Year's Eve Eve. Um, it's live and available on Netflix. Uh, but yeah, so you get to go in and, and pick your in. And they said that there is a, a true ending, I guess. Uh, so I'm assuming that means it's going to have something to do with, I think it's season five of Black Mirror that's coming up. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just a neat little factoid. I have no idea if there's nudity, gross immorality. I have no idea what's going on in that movie. The only thing I know about it is that it's Choose Your Own Adventure. And I'm probably going to check in to see if there's any of that other stuff there so I can get on and try it out. That is interesting. And um, I don't know, man, I, I've been noticing here lately now this uh, uh, this is a little segue, but um, so we've, we've got Alexa and we've got Amazon Prime. And so it's directly linked to Amazon Prime Music. Yeah. And so I can say, Alexa, you know, while I'm getting ready, Alexa, play whatever song. And it, and it comes up automatically. Barbie Girl by Aqua. Yes. Actually, I just said Alexa and she tried to talk to me. Um, but I'm noticing that I'm become, becoming more and more dissatisfied with not with, with just listening to the radio or not oh, yeah. getting the particular song that I want at the moment I want it. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I don't know, man. I, I'm. It's giving me pause um, because, like, you, this choose your own adventure. Like us being in control of everything, um, in control of our stories instead of receiving um, an author's uh, story. Mm-hmm. Um, we are becoming the, the in control of everything. We become the author. We become. And I, I don't know. I'm just yeah. The creator. I'm. I'm hesitant. I think it's going to lead to, I, I think all of this, this on-demand culture, and I think it is leading to a, dissa- a dissatisfaction with um, normal everyday life. Because um, li- real life isn't like that. Your job isn't like that. Um, yeah, your family's not like that. Yeah, literally nothing else. And so I, I don't know. I don't know. It's. Um, I think it's leading into like the, the suicide rate and all that. I think all of that factors in. But I, I mean, I, of course, that's just anecdotal assumptions. But the, the reason why people are taking their lives is is because they're trying to I mean they're pursuing happiness they just they're they're finding it they're dissatisfied you know yeah we're too and, directly uh, connecting my preference in the moment to what I'm supposed to think of as happiness right and while those things do often overlap they're not you know they're not there's not an equal sign between the two right right and um and like it's not just this but even the virtual reality um what is it oculus yeah um that toy or whatever that has come out where you can you know my I don't know if I've talked to you about this but my associate pastor has that and he he says you can sit on the bench at an NBA game with the team yeah I've like, heard about that, that and, and actually look to the left and look to the right and um, and watch it with somebody you can do that at the Super Bowl like be on the field or like on the sidelines and you can buy a ticket and all kinds of and I don't know man I, I, 
There, I think there are, I don't know, I think that's going to lead to, and it's because we're sinners, right? It's not, it's not, this isn't necessarily where these things have to lead. Um, but because of how we are pr- process these, I guess you could say, like this on-demand stuff, like it, it's similar to, you know, you remember dial-up internet back in the day? Oh yeah, I definitely remember that. I remember getting and, 56K and thinking that it was like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. That's right. And if you had, and if your internet's slow right now, are you ready to throw the computer across the room? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am rebooting my routers and like calling my provider and being like, what's going on? You're going to prorate this, right? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And so with the web page isn't up in one second, if it takes 10 seconds, we're like, oh, and how that has messed with our patients, how that has messed with, um, I mean, the list can go on and on and on. We're just, um, I don't know if we, if we aren't consciously aware of these things, we can lack the fruit of the spirit, um, or at least hide the fruit of the spirit in those various areas of our lives. Certainly true. I, I do think think there's some there's some signs in the broader culture and particularly in the church that people are starting to be more and more aware of these dangers. I think I mentioned to you that I'm teaching a rhetoric class this semester and my students are 10th graders and I gave them a pop culture assignment. I just said basically find something in pop culture that you're going to address the church with and say you should either consume this or you should not consume it. So make an argument for adoption or exclusion. And two of them picked to talk about uh, technology and needing to have meaningful controls on how you how you interact with technology. And I thought that was pretty interesting considering I'm talking to 10th graders. That is. That's good. Yeah, yeah It's going to have to be somebody. It's going to have to be another generation probably that comes up and starts um, questioning. Yeah. I don't know. We're, I'm so deep into technology. I mean, it's not that I can't question it, but I don't know. You don't see a, uh, you don't see me getting rid of it. I'm not getting rid of it. I haven't got, I'm telling you this about Alexa and um, probably what I'll end up doing is listening to Pandora instead of um, doing the on-demand stuff. I mean, that, that's probably how I end. It's not not getting rid of technology, but putting the brakes on a little bit. Sure, sure. Which, by the way, Pandora is radio stations you create from your preferences. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, I get it, though. Uh, yeah. You don't pick the songs, though, but you can skip them. And, yeah, absolutely. You know. I listen to Pandora a lot, and I have multiple channels that are set up around my moment-by-moment preference. Yeah, yeah. That's, oh, may Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's not just that. It's, it's how, like, at our house, we don't have cable TV, so it's not like just flipping through the channels and finding something and then allowing that to play, it's literally every time we watch something or put it on, it is something we choose to put on from a list of thousands of possibilities, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. And so we have Netflix. We do have some streaming stuff so that I can watch live sports. But um, my kids basically watch the digital movies that we own uh, on this Cody box I have set up where that's all they can watch through it or they watch Netflix. And um, the one thing we have done is we have told kids, one, you can't watch a movie if we haven't, as your parents, watched it with you and told you it's okay to continue watching. But then we follow that up with, if you start a movie, you have to finish it or uh, turn yeah. the TV off entirely so that they're not even further down the rabbit hole of, you know, I'm 45 minutes and I'm bored. Let's watch something else. Um, it's, it is a small strategy, but it's sort of in the name of shaping them to, to not hop moment by moment to whatever catches their fancy. That's good. That's really good. We, uh, we let our kids play tablets like they can play it on Friday and Saturday and um, we, we limit the time that they have. But I'm noticing um, 
um, and over break, they've had a lot more time. But um, but I mean, they're like with games, like they'll download. They they have to get permission before they download anything. But they come to us and they want a game. Well, then thirty minutes later, they're bored with that game. And um, I don't know. I've just been noticing that more and more here lately. That um, that's not a healthy. It's not a healthy thing to. It's not a healthy thing to to be playing video games all the time. But it's not a healthy thing to um, be so bored quickly like that. No, definitely not. Definitely not. We we fight the exact same thing. Except my kids don't really play video games. They have a Wii U that they get access to. My oldest son gets access to in very limited doses. Or if it's been like six days where it's raining and they can't go outside, we'll let them play some kind of athletic like tennis or table tennis or something to like get them moving. Mm-hmm. But we run into that stuff too. You know, a relative who we love and we're thankful for gave us Mario Kart. And they're like, no, we need to play Mario Kart instead, which is much more sedentary. And we're like, no, you can't do it. <laughs> you know, so it's it's a constant battle. I I have relatives that we love and respect and think of. We love the kids and respect the parents. Um, but my daughter was going to spend the night with some older cousins at a, at grandma's. And I, I had to set the older cousins down and say, she doesn't have access to a cell phone. Please don't let her sit there by you while you're browsing social media and playing games on your phone. It's just not part of her world. And those girls are great. And they said, yeah, sure, Uncle Jeff, we're glad to glad to do that. And my daughter, you know, she didn't fight it. But I, it's just a it's a weird world to try to control technology because generally speaking, if you have limits on it, you're the weirdo. You know what I mean? If, you, if your family says there's going to be restrictions on how we use it, you, you're still kind of the, the odd person. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the bad guy, basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's how my kids are going to view me. And they'll understand when they get older. And I predict they'll do the same, if not more, for their kids. Sure. I mean, you're seeing Silicon Valley leaders saying my kids don't have a phone and we don't give them access to hours and stuff. So, yeah, probably. Um, this is almost, you know, like halfway to a Black Mirror episode, ironically, talking through that. Um, <clears throat> one other thing, and I'm sure you, you, you have stuff to talk about, too. But have you watched the trailer for Jordan Peele's Us? I have. And then I had to cry myself to sleep. Is it not super creepy? Oh, yeah, yeah. It came on. Uh, I can't remember what we were watching, but we were all watching as a family. And my kids are like, you know, they I, I, I'd i never seen it. And so it's <laughs> just this preview coming up. And I didn't even know that um, I didn't. I knew Peel was doing a movie, but I didn't know the name of it or anything. And so <laughs> well, anyway, it freaked everybody out who watched it. Well, my version of that story is <clears throat> I was at my mother-in-law's after we opened presents. And I try to avoid trailers for movies that I know I'm going to watch. So I knew a lot of the details about this movie, but I wasn't going to watch a trailer. But we were watching the NBA games uh, on Christmas Day, which is one of my favorite things to do on Christmas. That's us too, man. That's what it was. And uh, I was sitting there with my adult brother-in-law and the husband of my adult sister-in-law. And that trailer came on. We were instantly riveted. And then one of them was like, is anybody else really creeped out right now and kind of afraid? (laughs) I was like, man, you're not wrong. Uh, I, You know, Get Out is a movie I have often sung the praises of, but Mm -hmm. I could not be more excited for this one to come out. Yeah, me either, man. Me either. I, I think it's going to be, I mean, I hope, I hope for his sake that it does well, but, you know, I don't know. The preview has really placed it way up. You know, like yeah. the expectations are very high. Yeah, there's a couple movies that I'm super excited about this year. I mean, I think everybody's looking forward to uh, the next Infinity War installment. Um, I'm, I'm a huge Captain Marvel fan, and by Captain Marvel, I mean the original Captain Marvel uh, that DC is calling Shazam now. That movie's coming this year. Excited for that. 
<clears throat> but there's no movie I'm more excited about next year than than us. And in fact, I think if somebody put a gun to my head and said, you can watch any of the three movies you just mentioned, but only one, I think I would pick us. I'm over the moon about it. Would you pick that over Glass? Glass would be number four for me. Yeah, I think this is the one movie. If, I, if somebody said, we're going to put you on an island, you only get to watch one movie next year, that's the one I would pick. It'd be, it'd be us. Even chapter two of It? Yeah, I think over that too. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Another movie I'm really excited about. But right now, my hot machine is on 11 for, for Peel's next effort. That's cool. So when does it come out? Is it April or May? It's uh, I want to say it's March. I can't remember. It's actually <laughs> it's actually on my calendar, but I don't have my calendar pulled up right now. So I think it's March. It's awesome, man. I mean, I, it's exciting to have these movies to look forward to, right? It's uh, sure. and where they may be groundbreaking or at least. You know, we know he can tell a story and we know he can tell a story that we haven't heard before. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, that was me again, kind of leading the way on. So sorry to interrupt. What, what do you got to talk about here? I think that I think that's it. Then let's get into the worst and best of 2018. I'm excited to talk about this with you. Um, so we, what we decided before we hit record, guys, is that we would talk about worst first, and that's a shorter list. And what we're going to do is work from the worst of the worst to the least worst of the worst. And if that's not confusing enough, I mean we're going in reverse order. So the absolute worst movie of 2018 will be the last thing we talk about. And we're going to work off the list I developed. Jared is not entirely on board with all my picks, but this is my list, and this is how we wanted to do it, so that's that's what's ahead of us. And uh, Jared, anything you want to say before we dive into the worst of 2018? Nah, man, let's get rolling. Okay, so a lot of the movies that are on my list are are there because I had expectations for them, and they failed to live up. Mm-hmm. And that is most certainly true of the number five movie on my list, which is the latest offering from The Conjuring, The Nun. I, I was as excited for that movie as I could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And when I got into that theater and got about, I don't know, 100 minutes, 90 minutes, maybe 80 minutes into that thing mm-hmm. and realized I wish they would speed it up. Uh, I just kind of got deflated. And uh, that shouldn't be the case from one of the major horror movie franchises that uh, that we're depending on in 2018. you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as The Conjuring World, I mean, is there... I mean, is there, as far as the amount of movies, is there anything comparable as far as a good horror universe? Yeah, um, not in horror. And I mean, you would point to the Marvel Universe or, you know, I have a sweet spot in my heart for the Past and the Furious franchise. Um, it's probably slumming it a little bit, but <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely in horror, The Conjuring as a, you know, as a, fr- as a franchise is carrying the banner and man, they really wet the bed with this one. Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. Like you, it should, I mean, it may be, it might be number one as far as the worst. Well, it's definitely number one in the sense of like what I wanted it to be and what I, I think I had good good reasons to expect it to be mm-hmm. and what it ended up turning turning out uh, as I as I watched it. You know, I think we've talked about this. So I'm not going to rehash everything, but uh, the the lead uh, I never get her name right. Tyessa Ferminga. She was really good, and she was basically the only good thing about the movie. And I say this as a guy who has watched a lot of direct to video release horror movies. You know, some some studio has this in its catalog. They're they're terrified to let broad release audience see it, so they just dump it out on whatever. Back in the day, it was a VHS. Now it's streaming. Um, you know, we talked about he's out there, right? Um, mm-hmm. Kind of a paint by numbers slasher movie. It's a much better horror movie than the Nun. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. So that that's my number one uh, in terms of as, as critical as I've been. That's my mo- uh, excuse me. That's my least worst movie of 2018. Uh, when we get to number four, though, Jared, I think you want to disagree a little bit. Uh, oh for, yeah. For me, it was the possession of Hannah Grace, which is a movie you and I went and watched together, hoping we could re- review review it for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, tell me why I'm wrong. Um, I think you're wrong because it it dealt with basically fighting your own demons. Like there was no witchcraft. There was no um, you know, it was it was trying to the demonic possession was not not real demons. It was, it, I mean, it, it it was not supernatural demons. It was the addiction that she struggled with, the anxiety that she struggled with, and um, I think I thought that was good. I thought that was unique. Um, so that that's why I don't think it need. I mean, it doesn't need to be on the best list, but I don't think it. I don't think it was one of the worst because in that way it was a unique story. I thought. Okay, so you're if I'm understanding you rightly. Tell me if I'm not. You're saying because it was thoughtful in plot construction, it doesn't deserve to be on the. It doesn't deserve to be in the dumpster. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, it was. It ripped off on several things and had obvious. You know, as far as storytelling, but um, but yeah, that premise and the I don't know that I've seen another demonic possession movie that um, you know that there was no witchcraft involved, like there was no um, and it was trying to really get at that these are real demons that people fight and deal with and battle against. So when but, you're saying real demons, obviously the main character there, were, as you know, as lightly spoilerific as possible, the main character, the protagonist anyway, is a woman who is battling addiction to substances. Right. So when you're saying it's literal demons, you're saying that, well, just clarify for me. Are you saying that demonic intelligences are driving her addiction or that they've made an interesting parallel between actual demon possession and the, the kind of destructive habits we refer to as having demons kind of colloquially? I, I don't think they're trying to make an appeal to supernatural at all. Um, I think they're saying, no, 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 these are the real demons that people battle against. Um, I, I, of course, believe in demons. Um, <clears throat> but this movie wasn't trying to wink at the supernatural world and say maybe these things are out there. It was instead trying to point us to how awful um, these demons that people battle against every day, basically sin, they didn't use sin, the word sin or anything like that, but it's our sinful tendencies that we must fight. And uh, there, and of course, there's no gospel. There's no gospel answer. It's basically just moralism. But, but anyway, I thought that that argument was at least, uh, I thought it was a breath of fresh air. Um, I mean, I I don't know any other movie that has done that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, of course, there's all this is happening set over and against an actual demonic interaction, though, right? Right. Yeah. And, oh, and yeah. That, that's where the movie fell apart for me. I can't stand it when movies don't play by their own rules. Right. And Hannah Grace is just full of that. You know, this demon is so powerful, it blows through these exorcists. But for some reason, as a skulk around uh, this hospital, um, you know, it can yeah, snatch it people. Sleep. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. It has to sleep. I think is what it, what they argued. Like it gets tired or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like healing this body bit by bit, and maybe even the killing like fuels that. But it, it's also powerful enough to like suck a dude into a, in a into a corpse box physically against his will. I mean, it just drove me crazy that yeah. that was the the degree to which it wanted you to suspend your disbelief. Not so much like you. I believe in demons, so not so much that demons exist and can possess people, but that there's no rhyme or reason other than. Well, we kind of want this cool thing to happen here. So that's what the 
demon is able to do or not able to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it, there ha- it had a lot going for it. Um, I thought that trailer was incredible. And I like the idea of using a contortionist to play the afflicted person. Sure. But, man. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you said, there's some interesting stuff with the plot, but they just failed to capitalize on it in my book. And it's hard for me to it's hard for me to see through the mess of the internal inconsistency to value the the novelty you're pointing to. I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just hard for me to to get there. Yeah. Oh, I understand, man. Um, surprisingly, I guess uh, my list is horror heavy. Did you ever see the movie Unfriended? I believe so. I get it confused with um, Friend Request. Maybe yeah. I can't. Mm-hmm. Those two kind of blur um, together. Yeah. I remember like I like the one that they were all on laptops chatting together. Yeah. Okay. So that is Unfriended. Okay. And this is sort of the inversion of the Nun in Possession of Hannah Grace. I, I was really out of anything to watch, but I wanted to watch a scary movie. So I fired up the first Unfriended the year it came out. And I had mm-hmm. the lowest of expectations. And it is not any like, you know, my grandkids won't be talking about that movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? But oh, yeah. it exceeded my expectations and I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was a halfway decent movie in terms of yeah, some scares, interesting idea. I can't remember if there was like nudity or sexual content in it. So forgive me if I'm overlooking that. But yeah, it was just, hey, you're punching a of your weight class. Mm-hmm. So it was with real interest that I saw the sequel, Unfriended Dark Web. Mm. And to add to my anticipation, um, the most underappreciated part of Get Out for me was the performance of Betty Gabriel. And if you remember who she was in Get Out, she was the uh, you know the housekeeper, the, the domestic mm-hmm. servant who lived in, and worked within the house. I thought she was mm-hmm. incredible in that role and was delighted to see her show up in Unfriended, uh, was glad to, to know going into to, excuse me, was glad to see her in Upgrade, is what I meant to say. Uh, mm-hmm. And then was delighted to see her on the cast list for Unfriended Dark Web. But man, the movie was virtually without merit. Oh, wow. It wasn't scary, first of all. It's just um, what the what the horror is supposed to come from is what people can do to your online life and then the gruesomeness of the kills in the movie, hmm. which is the horror that I hate the most, where it's just, look what we've done to the human body. I think it's the lowest value kind of horror movie there is. And then, basically, hackers are gods walking the earth in that movie. (laughs) Which I get. People who are skilled at, uh, you know, using computers, using online databases, they can do some really sinister stuff. I realize that's part of our world. Mm -hmm. But these people were on a whole nother level. And and there's never this indication that they're working from a supernatural power supply. Right? That was part of the, the original movie is that, hey, some of these things are explainable because you're dealing with a supernatural entity. In this one, you're just supposed to believe that, you know, somebody who's really good with his laptop can time a bus to run you over in the street. And hmm. uh, yeah, it was just awful. It was so lazy. There's, no, there's no supernatural in that no. movie? No. I mean, wow. other than the fact that they frame these hackers as supernatural in their abilities, but it's all supposed to be explainable by their, you know, like their Batman-ish, that they can plan and they have money and they are great hackers. That <laughs> is it like some of this stuff can happen to you and it's such a waste. Oh, wow. I feel like what must have happened is someone saw a script and said, oh, we can make that the sequel to Unfriended and just totally wasted everybody's time. Yeah, they must have paid like they had to license or something like they. Yeah, they were just trying to get off the wake of uh, make some money off the wake of Unfriended one. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, And boy, was it a disappointment. Uh, Did you see Unsane? I did not. But I have isn't it on uh, Prime. It may be. But brother, if it is on Prime, let me encourage you. Stay away. 
<laughs> so this is a 2018 movie by Steven Soderbergh, and uh, it's got Claire Foy in it, Josh Leonard, Jay Farrow's in it, which Jay Farrow, uh, if you don't know him, Jared, he's one of the more recent SNL cast members to kind of try to launch out into a big screen career. Is he is he a blonde dude? No, he's not. He's um he's a black man. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So yeah, I'm way thinking off. Of, yeah, I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, anyway, he's pretty good in it. Uh, Juno Temple's in it as well. Anyway, the big news about this movie was that, again, Steven Soderbergh was behind it and that he shot the movie on an iPhone 6. Oh, wow. And so it's a, it's a gaslighting movie. I don't want to give away plot details for anybody who's crazy enough to go watch this thing, but basically this woman is, um, she's manipulated into believing herself to be insane by a stalker. And mm-hmm. you're supposed to spend the whole movie like trying to figure out, is she crazy or is she not? But the the story is so full of plot holes, you're never in doubt about what's going on. <laughs> and shooting it, I'm sorry, it was an iPhone 7. Um, the fact that he shot it on an iPhone 7 didn't make it feel like it was more authentic. You know that that's, that's one of the things that made the found footage genre so popular, is that it was supposed to feel more grounded in the real world. Mm-hmm. Watching this movie took me entirely out of any sense that this was happening in the real world. Um, it looked super low budget. Like I've watched a lot of indie movies where, you know, maybe maybe the plot's interesting, but you can just tell they're not working with a lot of money. Mm-hmm. This was a terrible plot wedded to a movie that looked like they weren't working with a lot of money. <laughs> so that is my number two worst movie of 2018. And I recommend anyone who thinks about watching that movie to go find a Hitchcock film, just at random pick an Alfred Hitchcock movie and watch it instead. If you really need something psychological, watch Rear Window or something like that. Stay away from this one. There's there's nothing of merit here, and it is so bad that I think it really diminishes Steven Soderbergh's star. Oh, wow. Like, I think less of him as a creator because of this one. Wow. And then again, since it's my list, um, the worst movie of 2018 that I saw was Uncle Drew. Did now, why you, did you see this movie? Well, I'm a huge basketball fan, number one, and I like the Uncle Drew commercials. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah, I like those too. And I don't know, man. I feel like I grew up watching movies where, like, sports stars would take a turn behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And I'll even watch those every now and then with my kid that are more modern. So there's this movie called Thunderstruck that's got Kevin Durant from when he was with Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And he swaps basketball ability through this accident with this kid. My kids enjoy that. And I thought, eh, I'll give that a run. Because it, it had several basketball players I've watched for a long time. And I thought, eh, I'll, uh, I'll watch it. I couldn't get through the movie. <laughs> I turned it off, I think, 15 minutes in. Um, one, I guess people are going to come at me, so direct your hate tweets to at right Jeff. But maybe I should have realized, as much as I think Kyrie Irving is overrated as a basketball player, mm-hmm. that he wouldn't be you know, sufficient to build a movie around. Mm-hmm. But naive Jeff went to Redbox and took it home and stuck it in a Blu-ray player. The thing that was most disappointing about this movie is not just how bad it was, but how coarse and vulgar it was. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting there with my kids. And this movie, anybody involved has to assume its primary audience is going to be children. Yes. And yet, I feel like they did everything they could to, for lack of a better word, word vulgarize the movie. Dirty jokes, crude references, uh, foul 
language. And I just thought, did you really think you were going to make a movie about aging basketball stars? It's supposed to be a comedy and adults were going to flock to watch this thing. You didn't think kids were going to be the ones pulling their parents into the room. Now I get That's it. So I, stupid. Yeah. I went in as an adult saying, Hey, maybe my kids will enjoy this. So it was reversed for me. I get that I'm the exception to what I'm saying, but there are very few people who love the NBA to the degree that I do. And you know, my kids wanted to watch it because dad was interested in watching this movie with them about these basketball players that they watch on TV. And dude, I, I can't imagine it being much more filthy unless there, you know, I never saw overt sexual acts or nudity, but that's really the only thing in the first 15 or 20 minutes that I didn't see that would have offended my conscience. That blows my mind because I'm thinking like Space Jam or something. I mean, when I've seen the previews for that. Yeah, I think maybe somebody, be it Kyrie or the people at Pepsi Max or whoever, thought, let's do Space Jam for adults and thought that Uh could be a thing, but then went and made a movie for the lowest brow comedy tastes of adults. So basically, I hate this movie and want to fight it to death. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't seen this mess, right? No, and I think I dodged a bullet, sounds like. Yeah, dude. The the ones that are on this list, I'm serious. There's a guy who wants to serve my neighbor well. If you have not seen the movies uh, that we've mentioned on this list and we're planning to, I I can't counsel you strong enough to just say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to skip those. And I think if you if you don't pay attention to that advice, if you ignore my counsel there, you're going to watch one of them and you're going to go, ah, I should have listened to Jeff. I won't watch the rest. <laughs> All right, man. So any terrible movies that I didn't cover that you want to you want to raise? I would stick uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2 on there. Okay. So you think that's a complete stay away? I think it is. I, I think you need to keep your kids far away from it. I mean, you know, kids don't pick up on all that stuff. But even from a friend perspective, like telling, teaching your children to leave their friends behind to go after possible careers is horrible counsel. Horrible. Like, uh, just leave everybody behind behind and go after your career like what I did, that just dumbfounds me I can't I, I think the exact opposite of that is more noble and more I mean it's just a I don't know I mean family is not it's not the most important thing but it is way up there I think it's the second most important thing behind your relationship with God and then the church is is right there with it your church family um, and to, to leave all that behind because you want to be successful in a career I just, that just that's just I think it's wicked. I think it's evil. Wrong message to send, right? Yeah, I think it's an evil worldview that is being... I why would you market that to kids who aren't going to have careers for at least 10 years if they're into that movie? Sure. And what vision of life are you putting in front of them? Oh, yeah. I, I just... I think it's awful. But but anyway... That's one of the things we want kids' movies to do. That's why we want to be intentional about them. We, we want kids to have a moral, a moral imagination that is formed mm-hmm. well, right? So they will have an internal sense of what is right and wrong even beyond the knowledge of thou shalt or thou shalt not. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it gave me an opportunity to talk to my kids about the value of friendship and family and, and um, how foolish it was for her to leave Ralph behind. To, and it, it's not just that. It's one thing if she wants to go do that. But they, they portrayed Ralph as the bad guy. Like he was the, if there's an evil person in there, you know, he's the one that's evil. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. And, yeah. And, and it's just strange to me. Like I think of my kids, they get older and my, my daughter comes home and says, hey, I want to move to so-and-so. I don't know anybody there. I don't know anything. I don't have a church family. I don't have, I literally don't know them because I want to pursue this career. I'm going to really try to encourage her not to do that. I mean, it may work out in the end. 
Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, uh, I, I told my kids a friend in the hand is worth two in the bush. You know, I mean, it, yeah, you know, but. You know, it's one of the things that has been more delightful for me as a pastor as I've went along. Um, my church is fairly young. I say my church, the church I pastor is fairly young and we have some really thoughtful people come through the doors and because they're young and we're in a university town, very often we're saying goodbye to them at some point, you know, in, uh, in a, in a four to five year span. And I've just been delighted by how many young people, pre-married, young married couples have come to me and said, I'm thinking about this job. Uh, I want to take it. Can we start looking for a church in the area? And you know, thankfully so far, we've always been able to find two or three churches that um, look like good options mm-hmm. that we can say like, you know, you may prefer one of these over the other, but if push comes to shove, all three of these are eligible for you to join. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, not everyone that I've worked through that process with, if we hadn't been able to find a church would say, no, I'm not moving. But I've been surprised how many I think would say, well, we're going to hang around until we find a job near a place where uh, we can go to church and, and get support. That, that probably means two things. It means that I should have a higher view of young Christians, which I, I feel like I try to cultivate, but this is just a good excuse to, to go higher. Mm-hmm. And then number two, that there there are more good churches out there than I'm inclined to believe as a, as a church pessimist, you know? Sure. So I'm with you. The, the idea that basically you find the job and then you sort everything else out, that's that's toxic, terrible counsel. Yeah. And oh, you yeah, know, man. thankfully you see some of that show up in movies as well. Yes. Um, okay. All right. So guys, uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, The Nun, The Possession of Hannah Grace, Unfriended Dark Web, Unsane, and Uncle Drew. There's a lot of uns in that list. <laughs> <laughs> the Nun, Unfriended, Unsane, Uncle Drew. Um, just stay away from the Un movies this year or last year. Oh my, that's hilarious. But yeah, those are the Pop Culture Quorum Dale podcast list of the worst movies of 2018. And in, in service to you as our neighbor who we are called to love as ourselves, we offer them to you to say, don't waste your time. <laughs> Jared, I think that calls up, um, calls up the opportunity to talk about the best of 2018. But before we get there, can I give you my list of honorable mentions? Yeah, man. So for the best movies of 2018, I wanted to come up with a a top 10. I was able to whittle that down to 11. <laughs> so I've got 11 movies to talk to you about as the best. Here are the ones who didn't quite make the cut. Um, Upgrade, thought was a good movie. Mm-hmm. Controversial Choice, Into the Spider-Verse, didn't make it into my top 11 this year. Less controversial, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, really liked that movie. Didn't get the criticism. If if that movie isn't what you expected, I'm not sure what you expected from Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Aquaman really enjoyed Aquaman. Thought it was better, as I've mentioned, to than uh, Into the Spider Verse. Just ahead of that, in terms of quality, I have Venom. Another controversial choice, number twelve. Solo, a Star Wars story. Really liked that movie. Ended up buying it. I've watched it mm-hmm. a bunch. And then what would finish just outside of my top eleven <clears throat> was Halloween, the recent reboot, uh, or I don't know if you can call it a reboot, a requel. It's both rebooting and a sequel to the original Halloween movie. Yeah, thought that was really good, but it couldn't quite crack the top eleven. Any of those movies you think were garbage? No, uh-uh. Any no, I thought, all the, I thought all those were good. Any of those you, so none of those you are surprised to hear on the list? No, uh-uh. I haven't, I haven't seen Aquaman. Um, I am surprised, even though I haven't seen Aquaman, you told me you thought it was the, the second best DC movie, um, which is, which I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah, I think Wonder Woman comes in clearly at number one. Um, and then, then Aquaman. Now, if you're listening to this podcast regularly, you know that I'm like the last apologist for Justice League. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's not like I think there's only one good 
good DC movie so far. There, you know, there's like three, um, and Aquaman's <laughs> rounding out that third. But yeah, I think right behind Wonder Woman, which is in the tier in and of itself, Aquaman comes in, and I'm I'm really pleased about what it may suggest about the future of the DC extended universe. Mm-hmm. So get that watch so we can review it. Yeah, well, yeah, I will, man. All right. So with that in mind, there's my honorable mentions. Let's jump into the best of 2018, and that is going to begin with another superhero movie, which is Ant-Man and the Wasp. What are your What are your memories of that that movie, Jared? I really enjoyed that. Um, I thought it was, I mean, uh, it's worth watching for sure. Um, you know, uh, I like the quirky sense of humor and um, and it had it had a few things. I remember taking my kids to it and like, that was a mistake, <laughs> but um, I was too late, you know, uh, but uh, they had a few things in it that shouldn't have been in it, but I mean, it wasn't super bad, but it was like, whoa, they were, they were kissing pretty heavy at one point but um you call that kissing huh i'm glad i'm never around when you kiss your wife i think i'd be vomiting in a trash can yes no comment um but uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good pick. It should be in top ten. I remember being struck by how ready I was for a small scale Marvel movie following in, uh, Avengers: Infinity War. And it seemed like for a long time, all the the Marvel movies were taking us out to space to deal with these big cosmic threats. We were on strange worlds, and mm-hmm. the stakes were as high as they could be, which is great. That's not a criticism. But when Ant Man and the Wasp came along and said, "Hey, why don't you watch a heist movie, and we can make the van we're riding in really small?" I don't think that that sounds like it should work as well as it does but it was a nice break from those like universe scale consequences yeah and yeah it's charming I love the leads um, who doesn't love Paul Reed uh, Paul Rudd. Reed Paul Rudd <laughs> my, my tongue's not quite caught up um, who doesn't love Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly uh, so yeah just you know very intentionally aiming at your at your funny bone uh, and it lands those knocks but it's also just a charming upright movie about good people in different difficult circumstances and I was I was there for that. Mm-hmm. So number ten, Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, number nine, Christopher Robin. And uh, we reviewed that one, Jared. What What did you think about Christopher Robin? Uh, we We bought it. We own it. Um, I really enjoyed that movie, and I would put it higher up on this list. Would Probably you? top five. Really? Yeah. Okay. I feel like sometimes I'm the most enthusiastic guy I know about that movie. But it sounds like you're even further the list. We too own the movie. My kids love it. We watched it multiple times. What are some of the things that resonate with you about this movie? I really like the humor. Um, I like the emphasis on um, family, like not being a workaholic. Um, I even like the emphasis on employers caring for their employees. Um, you know, I, I like all that. I mean, if, you know, the we've talked about before how the ending, you know, how they decide to fix everything is kind of baloney, right? Yeah, Pie in the sky. But, yeah. <laughs> but other that was, that's basically my only argument against it is everything else. I thought the humor was awesome. I mean, I was laughing even. We watched it just uh, maybe three or four days ago and I laughed and laughed and laughed and my my wife liked it. I, th- I think that's how you do humor. I mean, it, um, you know, it was it was really good. Yeah, I mean, th- there's so much there. I'm 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 right with you. Um, yeah, it, you know, the most unbelievable part of that movie, even more than these imaginary creatures could come find a friend from across the imaginary world, is this idea that spins your way out of <laughs> debt problems. But if you set that aside, it's just so forthright and so sincere. Uh, 
Um, mm-hmm. This is a movie that wants to tell a lovely story about good things, and I, I'm 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 very willing to hear that. And I think I mentioned this on the the full length review we did, but Eeyore was the breakout star of that movie yeah. for me. One of the, my kids' favorite things to do uh, is at, at dinner time, I'll figure out some way to do the Eeyore voice about something that's happening in their family or at the dinner table, and my kids roll not because I'm particularly funny, but just because that Eeyore character uh, landed so well with their imaginations. That's awesome. And if uh, if they want to do like a 10-part web series of just Eeyore shorts, I'll watch every one of those multiple times and I'll give them all my Google, you know, ad click revenue. They can just have it because we will be, we'll be there for that as a family. Uh, we're big, we're big fans too. Ian McGregor's great. Just top to bottom. It's, uh, it's excellent. Um, all right. So you would move that one higher. Tell me what you would think about my number eight movie here, Jared. That is Mission Impossible Fallout. Too high, too low, or put in the right place? I think that's in the right spot. I mean, I, I think it's one of the best Mission Impossible movies, but it's still, I don't know, you can't, you can't put that... I don't think it's worthy of top five, but it, it's definitely top ten. It's a, it was a really good story. Really, I thought it was excellent acting, um, excellent choreography, yeah, um, and the fighting and the stunts and and the story was really well done. And and we, I like uh, Ethan Hunt much better than James Bond. He's much more moral, much more. Um, I think he's much more likable and more. It, it sounds odd, but realistic. Um, he's well, a yeah, human I think being. the way that they approach the stunts does that for you. Now they have super cool gadgets and all that stuff, but when they actually hang a guy out a window, you believe, hey, a guy can hang out a window. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm just really with you on that point. Oh, yeah, you're right, man. Well, and your point about him being more upright, too, is right on. Um, That's probably reflective of Cruise. More than anything, what that movie did was make me fall in love with Tom Cruise again. Oh, Uh, yeah, again, right? Because you've fallen in love with him in the past? Multiple times, yeah. It's a a (laughs) long-running love affair at this point. Um, It's a love-hate relationship. You loved him until he started jumping on the couch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we all had a moment with Tom where we thought, nah, things might not be going so well with this guy. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, he's still got his fastball and he's still really brave. And like you said, they told a really compelling story about a guy who who has a real strong moral code when it's kind of become more fashionable to have the antihero who's, you know, backing his way into doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. This movie has, I think maybe the, the, the best example of this is Cruz taking pain to protect a police officer from bad guys um, and see to it that she gets medical care. I say Cruz, Ethan Hunt, you know, before they go off to do the rest of their adventuring. Um, and I may be bleeding that with an earlier movie, but uh, nonetheless, it, that's just who the character is. And I'm, I, you know, whatever more, however many more of those they want to do, I'm going to, I'm going to start showing up on opening day again for them. You know, I'd kind of let that series lapse and I would catch them when it was convenient or if I didn't have anything else to watch. But this one set the hook in my mouth again where I, these will be, opening weekend viewings for me from here on out. Oh, yeah. All right, number seven, going from the biggest budget, broadest scale, maybe one of the biggest franchises we have currently operating, uh, to something much smaller, but nonetheless, I think a, a better film. It was the John Cho vehicle, Searching. And yeah, I, I would put this one a little higher. Okay. Um, I, would, I would put it above um, your oh, number don't mention six. Any, oh, okay. So above number my number six. six. Number five. Okay. So you like the movie even more than I did. Tell me tell me what's great about Searching. It's unique. Um, not only that, but it has, it has actually something 
something to say um, that I think everyone needs to hear. Like, um, I don't think those other your number five and number six really had something. I mean, they, they have something to say, but not comparable to the importance of what searching communicates. OK, so what would you boil down the message of searching to if you give it one sentence? Uh, parents being involved, more involved in your children's lives and in their technological lives. Okay, so don't assume things are going well, but like get in and figure out whether or not they are. Yeah, I mean, this may save people's lives. I mean, if parents heed that movie, like it may save uh, people from abuse, people from bullying, people from, I mean, the list is pretty astronomical if, if parents take that to heart who weren't doing it previously. Yeah, yeah. I had to, you know, it took a couple dings for me because I thought the ending was a bit telegraphic you know the, yeah. the the reveal of who the bad guy was but other than that I, I thought this movie punched above its weight class to use that metaphor again um, and you know I was very critical of unfriended dark web just a few minutes ago because it made the online the abilities of those who are operating in the online world we call the internet godlike mm-hmm. searching is much more grounded in a real world presentation of what it's like to be on the internet right you know there's some things that John show did in that movie that could not be done by me if I were in his circumstances. Um, my kids don't have smartphones and they're not old enough to, you know, compare to that daughter. But nonetheless, I don't even know if they'll have smartphones at that point. They'll, they'll probably have dumb phones. <laughs> um, my wife and I don't keep our locations turned on on our phone. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a priority we've said. We don't want whoever's looking at that data to, to know our daily routines and where we go and whatnot. Or at least we don't want to make it that easy for them. So yeah, you you sit with a tinfoil hat on most of the time too, don't you? Very much so. And I say <laughs> I'm that the same as a guy. way, man. I'm the same way. We don't. I don't either. Well, but you know, you have an Amazon device in your house, right? It's listening all the time. That's true. And my TV probably listens to me too. Well, I'll tell you how deep my hypocrisy runs. And this is the one example where I can be like, I've just thrown it away. I not only have Amazon devices, I also have Google devices. I have two in two separate rooms. Oh wow! And I just got one the other day for free um, and I put it in the bathroom. So... You know, for all my high-minded, we don't keep the location turned on. You know, Google hears every conversation that happens in my house, basically. So anyway, the the point isn't that I'm stellar in my managing technology. It's that I couldn't do a few of the things Cho did. But if we practice technology the way that his family did, I could have done everything he he did to track his daughter down. Yeah, me too. Uh, I may not have been able to put together the thing he puts together to save her, trying to avoid spoilers there. But um, yeah, I, I could have done that. And it's completely... Completely in hard contrast to unfriended dark web, where apparently you can use Google Chrome to do everything but manipulate genetic data. <laughs> so I, I appreciate they took the time to say, we're going to try to tell this story in this way. Let's not make it too hard on our audience to believe it could happen. Mm. Like you said, great message and just a unique film. So. But you're going to have to explain why you're critical of number six to me, pal, because Incredibles 2 was almost a top three movie for me, and it pained me to drop it down to the oh, number wow. six slot. So fight me. I I thought it was saying more about feminism than you did. Yeah. So what did you think it was negatively uh, saying? Not 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 negative about feminism, but like in a way that wasn't super profitable. Um, basically anything he does, she can do better. But then then you pointed out, which is a good point. Um, she needs him in the end, right? Yeah. But um, but I, I think that most of that movie is arguing that um, whatever he can do, she can do better at home or as a superhero. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's fair. I, yeah, I think they mitigate it, but I think that's fair. And then there was a few cuss words in that movie, which I don't know. I mean, 
mean, I love The Incredibles, but those two things just kind of put me put me down on it. Yeah, I think that's fair, too. Uh, I know you and I often agree. Um, but some of the, the I think there was one one instance of foul language that seemed so forced. It, it literally took me out of the movie. Yeah. I just where did that come from? And I was thinking about their choice to include it rather than the story they were telling, mm-hmm. which is beneath a movie like The Incredibles. Um, but, man, I, I love that movie. I love the way it portrays the nuclear family. I, I do think that while it is, you know, it's not going to say something critical of mom. I don't think it's I don't think it's able to rise above our moment and feel safe to say something critical about mom the way it says things that are critical of dad. Mm-hmm. I also don't think it leaves dad as this stumbling, bumbling buffoon who needs mom to fix everything for him. Right. They start him there, but he figures stuff out and he gets a handle on it. Yeah, he calls his friends, but I think that's a reasonable way for a man to sort of get his feet under him when he's trying a new thing. And, you know, if he's having trouble with his children relating to them and whatnot, I think it's entirely reasonable to go find people to help you through that and get wisdom from outside of yourself, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that moves it up for me uh, above a movie like Searching that I really loved is the the bad guy. Uh, I thought Screenslaver was really compelling. And if, if there's a, a real problem with a movie, I think that they threw away Screenslaver too quickly. You know, yeah. I don't want to get in too far into spoiler territory, but he you could almost make him a recurring bad guy to me. And he ends up oh, being yeah. much less than that. So I would have liked to have heard more. He, he's almost like... I don't know, a version of the Unabomber, right? He's got a manifesto he wants to push. And mm-hmm. um, this is not me endorsing the Unabomber, but um, with Screenslaver, I, he was saying some stuff I think I needed to listen to and I wanted to hear more. Right. But so so be it. They they made the decision they did and who am I to criticize them? But I thought that was, no pun intended, an incredible movie. And it's another one that we, uh, we will watch for years to come, I think. Um, it, it's easier for me to understand your criticism here, but number five for me is the Freddie Mercury biopic Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell you why. It, it ended in my top five because really two factors. One, I thought Remy Malik was incredible. And it's maybe the best top to bottom, uh, front to back acting performance I've seen this entire year. I didn't know as much about Freddie Mercury going into that movie as I do now. That movie made me want to go back and look at that guy's career, watch some documentaries at this point, watched a lot of concert footage. I felt like he chat channeled Freddie Mercury, and uh, he deserves commendation for that. The other thing is, when that movie is good, it is super good. Specifically, when they are they're showing the chemistry of the band, and when they're doing live, you know, they're they're, they're recreating their live performances. Mm-hmm. Out of every band biopic movie I've ever seen, that's the most enjoyable recreations of the music and the performances. And I like Walk the Line. Um, I'm not somebody who like despises music biopics, but I still think this one is out above all the rest. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the strengths. It's how strong Malik's performance was and then how strong the the, the music performances were that, that made me put it in the top five. Tell me why I'm wrong. No, I think I think you're right. I would just move it down to like number seven. Okay. Um, behind the Incredibles too, but I really enjoyed everything about it. The only the only thing, um, I mean, it's it's a tall order to try to get the actor to actually sing the vocals, but like Walk the Line, those act that actor and actress actually sung uh, the vocals. Um, but it, then again, Johnny Cash is not Freddie Mercury. 
Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. But uh, but I mean, as far as the acting and everything that you said, yeah, and I mean, if you like, you you go put on the actual um, oh, what was the name of the final, one of their final concerts? Live Aid. Oh, Live Aid. Yeah, li- the Live Aid concert. I've probably watched four or five times. Yeah, it, it's basically. I mean, he does every bit of it in that movie. Almost, I mean, you can't tell him apart. You know. Yeah. It was uh, really incredible. So I I really enjoyed that too. I would just move it down a few. Um, and I, I don't, another thing I don't like is that they, they may, they embellished, um, they, they intentionally embellished. I mean, these are eyewitnesses and, um, like you said, they, they threw in a couple things that didn't actually happen. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't like that, that sure. part of it. Like, and I don't think they needed it. I mean, Freddie Mercury is, is, I think he's compelling enough. Yes. Yes. I'm with you now for whatever reason they made the choices they did. So the, the members of Queen that are surviving, had, uh, as far as I can tell, creative control here. So I'm happy to just say they decided to tell a based on movie rather than a one to one recounting. Mm-hmm. Uh, an- another thing that I thought was really surprising about that movie is that it didn't celebrate Mercury's sexuality in a way that I think most people would expect a film like this to do. Right. His sexuality was much more to the side and it didn't define who he was. It was an aspect of who he was, but it wasn't everything that he was. And then, too, I think this is part of the reason the LGBTQ plus community has criticized it pretty often. Up until that very last relationship we see Freddie in, his forays into gay culture were sort of presented in the rock star spiraling out of control uh, filter that are that are common to these kind of movies. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm sure that's not what they want to communicate, but it's, it's a happy coincidence that they ended up telling that story that way. Yeah, that's a good point, man. I mean, and, and the truth is that that's primarily the gay male lifestyle. Um, I mean, listener, you can go on the CDC um, website and there's actually a report on that, that m- most uh, most men um, who are involved in those relationships, monogamy is not um, something they pursue. I mean, the overall majority uh, of gay men are promiscuous. Really? I, I didn't know other than um, there's a, a one particular contributor to a to a, a news blog that I read who basically says that's been his experience as a gay man in the gay community that, mm-hmm. you know, he is in a long-term monogamous relationship, but he said he's basically, he and his partner are the only two he knows that are in that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, be that be that as it may, um, just a happy coincidence here that I think Christians coming to the film may have had some trepidation wondering about how uh, how the, the reality of his sexuality would be portrayed in this movie. This movie certainly doesn't grind you down demanding that you that you celebrate his sexuality and, and, and in fact it doesn't spend a lot of time dealing with it right so yeah great great rock and roll movie and some of the best recreations of rock concerts i've ever seen incredible performance by the lead i'm, I'm sure he won't win anything but man i think he deserves to uh when it comes to award season uh yeah. like that is i'm speaking of yeah absolutely all right so we've gotten 10 through 5 on the record and here's where i'm gonna have to hit pause jerry because i really don't know what to do with this movie I think it's a movie that people are going to remember from 2018. When you think about, hey, what movie stand out in 10, 15 years from now when you think about 2018? I definitely, definitely think this movie is going to be in that conversation. It has an, excuse me. 
It has another one of the best acting performances I saw this year. It Visually, it was stunning, but I'll probably never watch it again. And there, therefore, I don't know what to do with it. I just did not give it a, a numerical assignment in my list. And that is the A24 Tony Collette-led Hereditary. So do you think I'm wrong that it's going to be one of the memorable films from 2018? It may be one of the memorable, but I, I was not a fan of that movie. I don't even think it should be on this list. I don't think it should be on, even in the honorable mentions um wow. yeah i i was not a that's one of those movies that was hopped and i was very excited about and and um i was let down um i, I just i and i guess it was it was too it was too gory for me was part of it uh-huh. um it, there was too much shock like trying to shock you as, as far as horror uh-huh. um i really dislike that um i see you I, also weren't cool with the naked old cultists running around yes yeah I thought that was odd, and um, I don't know. There, there was just it was one of those movies that was it made you feel uncomfortable. That makes sense, like yep. a like it intentionally tried to make you feel uneasy, grossed out, um, almost making you want to I don't know leave the movie theater. Like try, I, I don't know. I don't want it. I don't want a movie to try to produce anxiety in me. Yeah. Or yeah. If, if that makes sense, like I mean, I I don't know. It's hard for me to put into words, but I I'm not saying it should be on the worst list um but i don't think it was top 20 of the year um but okay well this is exactly why i didn't know where to put it in the list um i think tony collette's performance was incredible and yeah what she did just with her facial expressions is beyond what i could have ever hoped for you know any actress to deliver i thought this was incredible and it really put her in a different tier for me in terms of thinking of her as an actress um mm-hmm. you know one of the unfortunate side effects from this movie is that it has promoted this idea of elevated horror that, you know, we should just assume all horror movies are terrible as if that's not true of most genres, but that there are these elevated horror movies that can be good, which Mm. I hate as a fan of the genre. I hate that idea. But again, it's visually very compelling movie. Tony Collette's performance is top notch. And again, I think it, I think it grabbed a hold of people who otherwise think about themselves as people who don't like horror movies. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I think you got to, account for it somehow when you're talking about 2018. Mm-hmm. So it's just off the list. I don't have it uh, ranked numerically. So you guys just heard why we think that's the case. Uh, I will say, you said you don't like movies that try to create anxiety in you. There's probably no movie I've ever seen that's better at doing that, if that's your thing. And uh, I was riveted during the movie. I kept, you know, I kept myself on the, the edge, or it kept me on the edge of my seat because I really felt like anything could happen at any moment. Yeah, I was. We were in that movie theater together. I believe. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, it felt like a roller coaster ride. Um, mm-hmm. So. Um, I, the next movie I do have ranked, and this maybe is surprising, but it's coming in at number four. So top five, number four, Avengers: Infinity War. Do you think it should have been I, higher? Yeah, I would. <clears throat> I would move that to number three, and I would put your number one down at number four. Oh, okay. Well, all right, good. That'll give us something to talk about. Um, yeah, Avengers: Infinity War was an incredible movie. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't have any weaknesses. I'm going to watch it a bunch. Yeah. yeah. Um, all that's true. But the top three 
three on my list are more enjoyable for me, and I've already rewatched them more, except for one, which is super long. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm criticizing excellence here, which is, I guess, what I'm actually doing. I think really what it comes down to is that it is such a bleak chapter that I'm not always... And this is weird to talk about a movie featuring a, a big purple guy with fingers on his chin, but I'm just not always in the mood to watch this movie because I know how it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. And that's enough for me to slide it down the ranking, just on the sense of like, by the time I pass away, what which of these four things will I have seen more often with joy? And I think it's the fourth one that's in. Mm. Why do you think it deserves to be better? Or, excuse me, why it deserves to be ranked higher? I, like you were talking about, I, I don't think that they're... So the other one that you have, that's number one, um, it's a standalone uh-huh. movie. And this one ties in so many other movies in such a big universe. And it does it in a, in a really a, amazing, compelling way. Like, I don't know, man. I, you think of the length of the movie and the, how it takes all these different characters and brings them in together. I just, I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah, you're uh, not wrong about any of that. I mean, in, in terms of trying to get everybody an appropriate amount of attention, you would think that was an impossible task, but they pulled mm-hmm. it off. So you're mm-hmm. not, I, I don't think, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you about it. It may be, though, dude, that this might be Lord, like Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, I, like I don't know how many times I've returned to the first Lord of the Rings um, because of the kind of open ending, you know, you don't yeah. bleak. Um, and actually, most of that movie, I think, is kind of bleak. Um, but when you bring them together, like when part two comes out this year, that it may move this up in the rankings for you if you yeah. consider them the whole. Like as a as a as a bookends, that's that's a really great thought. You know, the version of what you're talking about for me is The Empire Strikes Back. Okay, there's no franchise I love more than Star Wars, and I get that most Star Wars fans see uh, Empire as the best in the series. I have watched in my favorite. Uh, I've watched Return of the Jedi many more times than I've watched Empire. And Mm -hmm. I love and I think, objectively, that Return of the Jedi is the best in the Star Wars canon. And so, Mm. it could just be, like you said, I may need the other chapter, and it could be that I'm just particularly bent to love a happy ending, which I'm happy to own. Yeah, me. uh, I mean, I am too, man. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I'm not going to criticize Infinity War. If somebody comes along and says, it's the best movie of the year, I don't don't have an argument to shoot it down with. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm cheating a bit with number three, Jared. Yeah, I saw that. But I don't know how else to talk about 2018 without talking about this project. So I'm just going to treat it like it's a 10-hour movie. That's how the the director said he created the thing, so I'm afraid to do that, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. It's our podcast. It's my list. I can do this. Number three for me on the best of 2018 was the Netflix miniseries Haunting of Hill House. Um, so that was one of the one of the projects that I anticipated, sort of like I was talking earlier about anticipating Peel's Us in 2019. Mm-hmm. And where I've been critical of some movies on the worst list for not delivering on the hype that developed around them or the anticipation that developed around them, not only did I have the highest of expectations for this series, but I felt like it delivered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it's got to be the best, um, it's got to be the best TV horror series of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think there's... I mean, if you want to, like, if you want to say The X-Files is a competitor, I I may go, okay, so The X-Files wins, but for a miniseries that was created to function like one long movie, it doesn't... I mean, we watched... um, What was the Hulu series? Castle Rock? Yeah. Um, I watched an HBO series starring Amy 
Jamie Adams called Sharper Sharp Objects mm-hmm. that has a lot of sexual stuff in it. So I do not recommend it to our uh, listeners. I watched it with my wife and she helped me navigate the parts that I shouldn't be watching. But it was a compelling story. I wish I'd have read the book. Um, and then it seemed like there was one other horror miniseries I watched this year that, you know, in, 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 in a lot of ways, this has been a great year for horror miniseries. But this thing stands heads and tails above all of them. Oh, Creeped yeah. Out. I really like Creeped Out, too. You turned me yeah. on that one. That yeah. was the other one that I thought was really strong this year. So, yeah, bring the Black Mirror. Bring whatever series you want to bring. And unless we're talking about like a canonical level franchise like the X-Files that has, yeah, okay, it's gotten more strong points, but it also has more weak episodes and weak elements just by yeah. virtue of being so big. Other than the X-Files, I don't think you can point to a series that's comparable. So I kind of stole your praise there, but please carry on. Go further. I think you're very much right. It's the best of all time in that very particular genre. And I would say as far as a horror film, <clears throat> I would put it in the top 10, maybe number 10 of all time horror movies. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, off the top of my head, it would be hard to argue that. Um, that may be a fun little side project. I may I may report back and try to come up and see where it fits in just horror uh, as, a, as a genre. You know, The Exorcist, The Shining, um, both versions of it, those are all up there. I think A Quiet Place belongs in there. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you're, you're going to get to The Haunting of Hill House really quick. That's a great point. Yeah, it's amazing. What amazes me is about this was, you know, when you're watching episode after episode after episode, you're you know, <clears throat> there's usually weak elements or, um, okay, this was a boring episode. This one as good as the others type thing. Man, it was just marvelous storytelling. Um, really good. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Flanagan is just, he's amazing, man. He's amazing. Yeah, he definitely is. Again, he, you know, he said that he wasn't interested in a miniseries. He wanted to make a movie out of this and it just was really long and chopped up into 10 episodes. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically as a storyteller, the thing I loved about The Haunting of Hill House is that it, it played with your expectations. You know, it would it would lead you by the hand into assuming you knew what was going on because it was some stereotypical um, plot device. So like the druggy brother, right? You along with his mm-hmm. siblings think, oh, he's back on drugs. But you go mm-hmm. a little bit further with it and you find out it's actually the opposite of what you had assumed. Uh, yeah. And I think five and six in that series are maybe the two best episodes of anything I've ever seen as a, as a pair. <clears throat> wow. Uh, it also had one of the greatest... <laughs> shocks and scares of the entire year for me when uh, when the sisters are driving down the road. That's all I'm going to say. That That's maybe, yeah. maybe the best jump scare I've ever been subject to. Yeah, or the worst. Like. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so yeah, he, you know, and, and you think about the degree of difficulty. That's a beloved horror novel. It's widely regarded as like a modern masterpiece. And he said, you know, we're not going to adapt it again. We're going to just take elements from it and tell a new story. That's a pretty bold choice for a story teller. Yeah. And so often they just mess it up. You can go back and look at previous adaptations of that novel and see where it gets messed up. Mm-hmm. But I think he delivered and I think he, I think he, you know, uh, accomplished his goals. So again, our podcast, my list, number three, best of 2018 is the 10 hour movie Haunting the Hill House. <laughs> Not ashamed. So Jerry, we're, we're to the top two. Um, I'm assuming our listeners can guess them and, in, in, you know, based on the clues they've already gotten and, and just knowing what movies came out this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's let's go ahead and unveil them. Number two for me is a quiet place. Really had a hard time putting that one in number two. Um, yeah, I'd put it up to number one. Yeah. Uh, it's, again, one of these deals where you're just quibbling about the smallest details, picking between greatness and greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
So that's another movie that I was riveted by while we watched it. I think it was so legitimately scary, but it just, it wasn't just doing scary. It told an incredible family story. It's one of the most original things I've seen in years. Mm-hmm. The acting was superb. Um, it's the only, it's the only movie that gets, that gives a distinctly feminine hero. Absolutely. That, I, that I'm aware of. Like this or, year. Mean, if there's or, others, this is the best version, right? Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, we're, I'm just, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier that I'm just weary of, of female heroes that are, that are saving the day in a particularly masculine way. There's nothing distinctly feminine about how they're saving the day. But well, in this movie, there is that, that it gets not only complementarity right, but femininity and the beauty of it. I mean, in the strong woman that in the, in this movie is really, I mean, like like you mentioned in our you know listener, go go in our archives and find our interaction with this this episode. And Jeff really waxes eloquent on um, the beauty of uh, biblical femininity that is portrayed in this movie that is presented, and how our wives are strong in a way that men simply aren't. That women are strong in ways that men aren't. And, and most of the time that is not celebrated in movies. Instead, it is this feminism argument that anything a man can do, a woman can do better. And and um, and it focuses on women being strong in the way that men are strong. But we, and of course, they're obviously strong women. Um, but good grief, all women, if you've, if you've, <laughs> if you've been involved in raising children, ladies, you are strong and you're, you're you bring, um, definitely bring something to your children that your husband can't. Um, I mean, it's it just it, this movie is firing on all cylinders on that. And it was really, really enjoyed it, really loved it. Not to mention that it was genuinely scary and it was it made me feel anxiety, but anxiety with hope, you know? Yeah, that's well said. Like hereditary, it just made me feel anxious and there was no hope whatsoever. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I get anxious and then all of a sudden the next scene is even more anxiety. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, I mean, you so much of that was just really well said, Jared. Um, that's a that's a lovely movie. As crazy as it is to say that about a, a horror monster movie, but really the thing that stands out for me and why I'm going to always love that movie. Why I'm still like as a pastor, if I know the conscience of the person I'm talking to, I'm happy to say, let me get you my copy of this movie and, and you should go watch it tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is that robust image of men being masculine, women being feminine, training their children to be masculine and feminine, mm-hmm. and a beautiful home emerging from those aims uh, mm-hmm. a very you know a very self-sacrificial uh, flavor to the home and its culture but one that's built on the bedrock of not being ashamed to be men and women um, mm-hmm. love that movie man so good so it's number two um, but again like Infinity War somebody comes along and says best movie of the year I really don't have an argument uh, but for me the number one movie of 2018 was Black Panther mm. so I'm just going to lay it out there for you uh, and you tell me what I got wrong because I know you, you don't think it deserves to be quite so high. Um, I thought the story was incredible. Uh, I thought it gave us a vision of a world that we're not often allowed to see in a superhero genre. Or not. I just, I can't think of a lot of movies that are set in African kingdoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's unique in that way. I think T'Challa is one of the most upright, Christ 
like heroes we've seen in any film in the last couple decades. I mean, he is a man of integrity. He he takes the burdens of leadership, not for power, but in order to serve others and better their lives. There's a strong Christ motif in his death and resurrection. Um, he is changed by his experiences, but not in the way that he's a man of integrity who is using his power as a leader to serve other people. The special effects were incredible. I've heard some people say that the action scenes were passable, but not stellar. I didn't see the same movie they did. Those are mm-hmm. some of my favorite battle scenes in all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, the the you know one of the things that I think makes broader society love this movie is that they found Killmonger so compelling. I also found him compelling, but mm-hmm. not because I thought he had a good point, which I think wrongly drives so much interest in this movie, but because I think they were happy to say these people who want to use power to oppress other people are monsters. Um, my son, Jackson, a little bit of a sidebar here. My son, Jackson, is super into dogs for whatever reason. And and I was actually kind of like him as a kid. I, my favorite book growing up was Where the Red Fern Grows and, you know, just love mm-hmm. dogs. So cool. He wanted to see this movie that came out last year called AXL. And it's about this robot dog. Yeah. Well, it's available digitally now. So we watched it last night because he's been asking to see it as soon as it comes out. It's garbage. It's hot garbage. <laughs> um, but one of the things that's interesting is the main character who is a terrible protagonist. Um, you know, he's basically bullied and he he gets this robot dog that's his super weapon and he immediately becomes a bully towards the guy who was bullying him. Mm. And the only interesting thing that takes place in the movie is that the love interest calls him out on it. She says, you know, you, you're, you're this underdog, but the first time you get any kind of power whatsoever, you just become the bad guy. Well, that's hmm. that's Killmonger. You know, yeah. he, he's you know he's rightly reflecting on people who are oppressed and who have had societal um, power structures work out against them. But rather than charting a new, better course with his abilities, he just says, "Well, I would rather be the one oppressing than than being oppressed." And it's good to, for that to be identified as monstrous. Mm-hmm. And Black Panther identifies it as a monstrosity. Um, having said that, by the end of the movie, I'm kind of hoping that the bad guy gets his own resurrection and is, um, you know, taken under the wing of T'Challa to grow into a better man. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I don't have enough good things to say about this movie. And out of all the movies we've already talked about, I've found myself wanting to rewatch either the whole movie or scenes from the movie more than any other movie we've just discussed uh, on the list we've just went through. Mm. So I love the film and I think it raises really good questions about leadership and power and what it means to, to use those things for your neighbor. Uh, I think it delivers a virtuous hero, makes me think of Christ. I just love this thing. So you tell me where I'm wrong and I'll tell you how you're wrong about me being wrong. How about that? I mean, I agree with everything that you said. Um, where I disagree was kind of the, not disagree, but why, where I think it's a, there's a moral, there's a hole in the moral emphasis here um, in the movie where basically they need to tear down their walls and share their technology with the world in order to help the oppressed. But but the only reason they have that technology in the first place is because they built walls and didn't let anybody come in. You know what I'm saying? Like the only reason that they, um, and I thought that was an inconsistency. Um, well, but see, I, yes. I, so one, I'm with you and I included that in the write-up of this movie. Right. That I don't think they knew what they were saying because it was behind a wall that Wakanda grew strong enough to be helpful to other nations. Mm-hmm. But I like that. I think it's a great place to have 
uh, a conversation in our cultural moment. And and again, I'm not on here like arguing for the Trumpian wall. Uh, I, I'm not going to take a position on that. Right. But, you know, the, the mainstream Hollywood culture is just going to say out of hand, it's not a good idea, right? Yeah. It, it's a symbol of division. I watched a Beta O'Rourke ad where he was saying, you know, this wall is stupid for a lot of reasons, but it's a symbol of division. But along comes this movie that says Wakanda thrived living behind a wall. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't stay there forever, but they put one up and it allowed them to grow strong. And so I'm just happy that this industry that I think would be horrified to hear me describing the movie that way, be horrified to hear you describing the movie that way, nonetheless put out a movie that said, are we sure we're we're, we're crystal clear on this? Well, I don't think, I think they say that they were wrong by living behind that wall, even though they did thrive. Like he, you know, T'Challa's correcting what his father failed to do. My counter to that is they established embassies. They didn't take down their wall. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And so I think with you, they probably want that to be the read you come away. I don't think you're wrong in what they intended, but I just think they couldn't help but tell a story that was more realistic, mm-hmm. which is, you know, sometimes nations have to say we have to we have to be really intentional about who we let in and how we let people out, mm-hmm. um, which is really unpopular. So I think you're right, and that's what they want to do. I just think they ended up working it out where they, they didn't actually deliver what they were hoping to, and it made for a better movie. Yeah. So anyway, oh, yeah, it's good. I, I would put that at number. So basically, uh, your two, three, and four, I think, are one, two, and three, and then I would put Black Panther at number four. Sure, sure. But um, yeah, I mean, everything you said is right. I mean, it's very good movie, very good, Incredible. and it's yeah. it's hard to pick through the top the top four of these movies. I think. Man, I'm with you. Like, you know, the reason they're my top four is because when I think about 2018, they are going to be the things that come to my mind, mm-hmm. and I think Hereditary is going to be in there too, but not because I loved it, just because. Because it was, it caught everybody's attention, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, what did we not cover from 2018 here, Jared? Any movies you think deserve highlighting that we haven't talked about? Um, I don't think so. There's none that have jumped out. I haven't seen, um, haven't seen anything that uh, that is has jumped out for me in the past two months, probably. Okay. Okay. Well, listener, thanks for coming along on this journey with us. Not just this episode where we put a bow on 2018, but the 34 previous episodes. We're thankful for your listening. Uh, to our show. We're hopeful that it's profitable to you. Um, you know, at, at least hopefully in some ways it's entertaining, mm-hmm. but we would be delighted if it's helping you think through consuming these stories being told by creatures in God's greater story uh, as lesser storytellers, imaging the, the great storyteller that is our creator God and what he is doing in cosmic history, telling this great story about his royal son, King Jesus. Uh, we hope that 2018 has been a good year for you. We we hope if that's not the case, that 2019 will offer better prospects. Uh, and again, we're, we're thankful for you making a choice to let us be part of your life. So thanks for a good 2018 from the guys at Pop Culture Quorum Deo. And uh, we're looking forward to 2019 as well. Amen. Amen. And Jeff, I'm kind of surprised that we ended up with 34 episodes. I, I was, you know, I mean, I was optimistic at 52, but I assumed 26. So 30, I think 34 is good for first year run, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've, we had a pretty long hiatus this last month, but one of the things that has been such a pleasant surprise to me is the people that we've met already through the podcast. You know, we have mm-hmm. the Pop Culture Corndale Perpetual After Party on Facebook, which uh, is one of the few remaining good reasons to use Facebook. Yeah. Uh, the people that have been introduced into my life through that uh, are just some of the, the most interesting connections I've made. So I'm really thankful for the the secondary benefits that come out of those 
those 35 episodes. Um, Jared, where um, where can our listeners find you outside of the world of the pop culture quorum down? You can find me on Twitter at Jared H. Moore. Uh, follow me and, and let's let's talk. Let's converse. Um, you can find uh, Jeff and I on Pathios, uh, Pop Culture Quorum Day on Pathios. And um, you can find me on Facebook at All Truth is God's Truth. Uh, I've got another podcast um, that I've actually neglected, but it, there's probably 10, 12 episodes uh, on there called All Truth is God's Truth. So check that out. Uh, Jeff, what about you, man? I'm at Right Jeff on most social media platforms. If you're looking to connect with me, I would particularly invite you to look uh, up our Facebook page, Pop Culture Quorum Day Podcast. And there's a big blue button uh, right there at the top that says visit group in the perpetual after party is one of my favorite places to connect with listeners. Uh, of course, I'm going to take you tweet at me, send us an email, whatever you do, I'm going to respond. But uh, I think that Facebook group's particularly useful and I'd love to meet up with you there. Um, guys, we are planning to press on into 2019. And so we've got plans to talk about into the Spider-Verse, Aquaman, maybe Bumblebee in addition up front. But as you've heard us already kind of rattle off, there are some movies we are excited about, not just because we love consuming uh, the products of pop culture, but because we love seeing the glory of God in those and, and taking the time to specifically look for it and be delighted when we see it. And so 2019, Lord willing, is shaping up to be a great year for people who enjoy good stories. And we're looking forward to walking that year out with you. Um, not to end 2018 on a somber note, but I was just looking through you know notable events from 2018, and I was struck by how many people that are in the public spotlight uh, that that went into eternity this year. And so, you know, Jared and I are in the Reformed tradition. We're also evangelicals. And I'm just going to close with uh, a, a segment looking at people that have really given us some great content uh, in the public sphere, either as academics or musicians or actors. And I'm going to use that as a way for us to reflect on the truth that it's appointed to every man to die and after that to face judgment mm-hmm. and to encourage you to think very seriously. Uh, if you're not a believer, think very seriously about the claims of Jesus Christ. The, the scriptures tell us that God God has given evidence to everyone that he will judge the world. And he's done that. He's given that evidence by raising the final judge from the dead. Mm-hmm. And that is his son, Jesus Christ. And so, Jared, listen to this list, man. You know, different degrees of significance, but uh, nonetheless, people who've, who we've paid a lot of attention to over the years. So Stephen Hawking died this year. Mm. Uh, Vern Troyer, many me, passed away. Uh, most people's forever Lois Lane, Margot Kidder, professional wrestler Big Van Vader, mm. man who tried to teach us to love foreign foods. I say foreign foods, foods we're not used to eating. Anthony Bourdain, Aretha Franklin, Burt Reynolds, and Stan Lee, one of the great storytellers, uh, mm. one of the great image bearers of the great storytelling God that, that we've seen in history. All those people have known now at this point what it's like to go out and uh, see Jesus either as judge or as savior. And uh, that that's a somber truth that, uh, that I think bears reflecting on as, as we leave 2018. Oh, yeah. Amen, buddy. Amen. Thanks be to God for those who know Jesus and who have been brought into Jesus by God's grace. Death uh, still has its intimidation factor because it's a foreign experience for everyone alive, but it it no longer has a sting. Death is a defeated and broken enemy. Amen. And all Amen. things are surely being brought under the feet of the Lord of life, Jesus Christ. So, friends, as we close 2018, Jesus is Lord. Amen, Jared. Amen, buddy. And that is good Amen. news. And so we will leave that in your ears as we sign off for 2018 and look forward by God's grace to being back with you guys in 2019. Thanks for listening.